Today's reading is from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God, you may be seated. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you so much that you have brought each one in this room for this time. And I pray that um, my words will be your words, that the things that come out of my mouth that the Holy Spirit will use and twist so that they land on the hearts of people in the right way, so that they can draw people to Jesus. And I thank you for the privilege that we get to open your scriptures together and to be led once again into those great promises that we can claim because of what Jesus has done for us. So help us to be mindful and alert. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we have a big game today, right? Big game? Anybody? Yes? Pretty big game. Yeah, yeah. Let me show you two pictures. Before, before the pictures go up, oh, oh, too late. That's all right. Before the pictures go up, here, here's what I need you to decide. Tell me which picture you'd rather be a part of. Here's picture number one. Picture number one. Everybody got it? Here's picture number two. Picture number one. Picture number two. Which is, which is better, number one or number two? Number one or number two? How many of you feel like you're at the eye doctor? Yes, yes. Uh, a group always changes the game, right? Being in a group is better today because, uh, let's face it, most of us, are in the same group. I see a lot of Chiefs gear today. I did in first service. I do here. And I'm sure that there's an isolated Patriots fan somewhere. Boo. But most of us are in the group, right? And it's better to be in a group today. It's better to rejoice in a group that owns the same jersey. It's better to recount the great plays with people who appreciate no-look passes to the left. It's better to be in a group who tell Tom Brady jokes, right? Yes. And may it never be, but if the day doesn't go as planned, then it's also better to be in this group together. It's better to commiserate and cry in a group that is Bob Sutton aware. It's better to be in a group of people who are feeling the same secondary letdown as we are. It's better to be in a group who will tell Tom Brady jokes. Did you see what I did there? For those of you in the overflow, it doesn't matter what happens today, we're going to tell Tom Brady jokes. That's the way it's going to be. 
Being in a group always changes the game. Now, you know this is true in your own pursuits. Uh, maybe you are into fitness and, and you do CrossFit or you do Health for Life or you go down to Buck Run. Doesn't, think, doesn't it seem easier to uh, battle your cholesterol level when there's somebody on the treadmill right beside you? Absolutely, it does. And some of you have done diets and you pack your lettuce and uh, your broccoli into your lunchbox and when you get to lunch, uh, you, you, if you see a coworker on the other side of the room pull kale out of their lunchbox, you're on the same page, right? And it just makes it a little easier. And some of you, this is no laughing matter, some of you have battled sobriety, right? And being a part of a group has literally changed your life. It was literally a matter of life and death, and it was that group that pulled you through and a group always changes the game. Now, the intriguing thing about this as we talk about groups is that we all know that that's true. We all know that we need each other in order to go farther than we ever could have gone alone. We know that, and yet we tend to say, ah, I don't know if I need a group. I can do it myself. I want to be independent. But life does not lie does it? Life experience always tells us that we go further and we go faster when we go together, together. And so let's take all of those discussions and let's put them in this room. What about our connection to God? What do we believe about that? Do we believe our spiritual life would go better if we did it together? And as you look around and look around in your own heart, I think you'll agree that there's no more individualistic pursuit than that of faith. Of all of the things that we could put our hand to, it seems that faith is at the top of the list of those things that we think can be done and be done quite well, thank you very much, completely by ourselves. And so we think it's fine if it's just Jesus and me. That's a normal way to proceed. I'll just keep it personal. I'll keep it solitary. I'll do fine by myself. But If it's true in football, if it's true in business, if it's true in health and wellness, then it's also true in faith. Being in a group always changes the game. And so what if the way to deepen our connection with God was to pursue that goal together? What if the way to really know God better was to know him together? And that's going to be the emphasis for today. Now, some, some of you might be quick to point to Jesus and say, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I can see Jesus in Scripture, and he is always going off alone. He is always retreating. He's always going off to a solitary place. It seems like he's always seeking refuge, and that is absolutely true. He's being alone a lot of times. But I want you to understand, and the next time you come across one of those places in the Scripture, I want you to find out and focus on what happens immediately after that. Because without fail, even though Jesus retreated, he always returned to people. He always went to the crowds, back to his disciples. He knew life and faith calls us to live in community. And so, Scripture echoes this as well. Uh, One of the significant examples for us is the letter to the Hebrews. And The letter to the Hebrews is written to a church. It's not just written to one individual, not just to one you, 
but it's written to all y'all. That's the way Rusty phrased it two weeks ago. It's written to all y'all. Um, and the writer includes himself in this group because the letter resounds over and over with this phrase. The phrase is, let us. It's found about 16 times in the book of Hebrews. And so we read things like this, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Let us run the race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And all of these things are things that we are called to collectively. Christianity, we get the idea really quickly, is not a solo sport. One of the main messages of Hebrews is if you do faith alone, then you're missing out. If you do faith alone, you're missing out because we go further and we go faster when we go together and we can know God better if we know him together. And so today, I want to focus on uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And in this little text, there are packed three to five of these let us statements. And I say that because it depends on what version you're reading. Some, some just have three, uh, others have five. So we're going to carve it up so that it includes everyone. And we're just going to make three main headings today. And they are quite famous headings, the headings of faith and hope and love. You might have heard about those from somewhere else but they're here in Hebrews. The writer says, let us collectively, plural, all y'all, draw near in faith, hold firmly to hope, and consider towards love. Those are the three things that we're going to look at today, and we're doing all of this together because we can know God better when we know him together. Number one, let us draw near in faith. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened us for, through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. As a kid, my dad worked in an office setting. It was at the Board of Education um, over on Main Street. And I remember I would go over there a lot as a kid. And as you enter that place, you, there's a huge desk. And there's a secretary sitting behind the desk. And the message is pretty clear if you walk into that place. The message of the desk and the message of the secretary is, if you want to see somebody back there, it's a good idea to make an appointment. Because we want people back there to actually be able to do work. And if you're coming in and interrupting, they're not going to be able to do that. So the desk sends the message of, it would be a good idea if you call first. I want you to take a stab, me being a kid and my dad working in one of those offices back there, I want you to take a stab at how many times I picked up the phone and called that secretary and said, hey, do you have a 930 spot that I could go see my dad? Anyone? Never. Not once. I probably visited, oh, for sure, dozens and dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. And not once, not once that I ever call and say, hey, I need an appointment. Why? Because I had access. When I walked into that place, I knew the desk was there for some reason. I knew she was there for some reason, but that reason wasn't me. I went straight to my dad's office. And the writer of Hebrews says, that's what we have we have confidence, we have boldness to walk right through to ignore the curtains. 
to ignore the veils, to ignore the barriers. We get to walk right into the very throne room of God. And the reason that we can do that is because we have a great high priest, the last one that we will ever need, who has opened up a way for us. And he gave his body and shed his bloody blood to open access for us. And if we have that kind of access, it's crazy not to use it. Number two, let us hold firmly to hope. Let us hold unswervingly is what my text says in the NIV. It means let me hold tightly. Let me hold firmly. May my grip be such that I never let go of the hope that I profess. And when we talk about hope in this text, we're not talking about wishful thinking. We're not talking about, I hope, I hope, I hope. We're talking about, I know. We're talking about evidential belief. And so it means this, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And what is it that we believe in this place? Well, we framed it up in different ways at different times, but today I'm going to frame it up this way. We believe that the blood of Jesus is enough. That's what we believe that it doesn't matter. My performance isn't anything in the equation of whether God accepts me or not. It's all about the performance of Jesus. And what he has done is shed his blood and sacrifice himself on a cross so that sinful dusty can be right with God. And you can too. And so we hold on to that. And these, these first two things I'm flying through because They're important, but they're not the bulk of the sermon today. But the reason they're important is because if we don't have these first two things deeply cemented in the core of our being, in the core of our soul, in the core of our heart, then it doesn't matter what we talk about in the third uh, point. It won't matter. Unless we have firmly in our hearts that we have access because God has provided Jesus and provided that excess because he has shed his blood and his blood is enough. Unless that belief deeply takes root in our heart, it doesn't matter what kind of hedges you put around you for the third point, they won't make a difference. So we have to start there. And so God, in regard to access, he says, it's not you individual that has access, but it's we. We all have access. We all have, can go into throne, the throne room. And in regard to hope, It's not one guy in the room holding on to hope for everybody else, but it's let us all hold on to this hope. And the emphasis is on we. It's on the group. And that makes sense because a group always changes the game. Groups of people committed to the same goal help us to change the most to become the people we ought to to be. And God has provided that kind of a group for you in this place. So if you're even a little perceptive, let me switch gears real quickly. You'll know, maybe you've thought this already today as we've talked about groups, just because you're in a group doesn't guarantee success. Everybody agree? Yes. Just because you're in a group, how many, how many of you have been a part of a group that took you to a risky place? Instead of, instead of a helpful place. Anybody? I have, for sure. Some of us have ended up in recovery groups. And the reason we end up in a recovery group is because we were first a part of a group that took us in a completely different direction, right? That's how that works. 
So it's not just being a part of a group that makes a difference. It's a part of being the right kind of group. We've got to be in the right kind of group. So today, on the big game day, there are a couple kinds of groups, aren't there? We have a Patriots group that eats clam chowder, right? And on the other side, we have a group of chiefs that love chili, which is the right kind of group today. Chili, right, yes, yes. Now, this last let us shows us what the right kind of group looks like. The right kind of group is going to have a certain look about it, and this faith and hope that we are afforded in Christ that gives us standing as sons and daughters of God, that faith and hope has to move us in a certain direction. Once it's cemented in our hearts, there will be no option but to move in these kind of directions, and the writer will talk about it. He says, let us, the last let us, is consider toward love. Let us consider towards love. He says, let us consider how, may we, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider. It means to think. It means to give careful thought to. It means to ponder. And the thing that we are to think through, the thing that we are to ponder is how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's it. And so let's make this very simple, super simple, super clear. We'll put it this way. Let us think through how we can put others first. And that's the kind of group that is the right kind of group that will help us to know God better. It will lead us in a positive direction. And everyone is thinking how they can put everyone else first. Now, be honest, that's probably not what you're thinking when you leave the house in the morning, is it? I know it's not for me. It should be. And so the writer says that there are essential ingredients that if we put ourselves to them, if we commit to them, then we'll have the right kind of look. First, it's a commitment to mutuality. This commitment to the faith we have and the hope we profess has to be together. Everyone has to be all in on it. And the way that looks in verse 25 is the writer says, let us never give up meeting together. Let us never give up doing this on a Sunday morning. Let us never stop being with God's people. Let us never stop meeting together so that we can draw near to God and reaffirm the hope that we have. He says, don't neglect that because it's not just important. It's, it's way more than that. It's the only way to ensure that you're still connected. The picture that I can give you is a bag of rocks versus a bag, a cluster of grapes. We're not the bag of rocks. The bag of rocks is just inert chunks of granite that kind of rub up and bump into each other, and that's not what we are on a Sunday. We're not just taking up the same space. We are the cluster of grapes. And you can see the difference right away, right? The grapes are living, they're active, they are fruit. But it's only because they are connected to each other and they're connected to the vine. All you have to do is take one of those grapes out of the cluster, just pluck it off and throw it somewhere else, go away for a day or two and come back. And what is, what's happened to that grape? 
it shrivels, it dies because it's no longer connected to the cluster. It's no longer connected to the vine. And the secret here is that life is only found if we are connected to Jesus. And you cannot be connected to Jesus without being connected to his people. That's the secret. You can't separate the two. John Wesley said this, that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. And so this is a call not just to church services on Sunday morning. This is a deeper call. This is a call to to develop spiritual friendships with brothers and sisters. It's a call to getting into others' lives deeply enough that you can share your hurts and your problems and your needs to them, and they can open up in turn about theirs to you, and you invest in each other, and you help each other, and you can't do that in this room. It's why we're trying so hard to facilitate groups that are smaller than this room, because we dare not miss out on that. That's what the writer's getting at. Being in a group always changes the game. Secondly, it's a commitment to intentionality. This kind of group, this right kind of group, I already mentioned this is about thinking, it's about considering, it's about being thoughtful about each one of us can help the other people around us. And intentionality is the key concept. So let us consider towards, and that means there's mental work to be done so that we can think through what we are to do and those thoughts will determine our actions. And in a healthy Christian community, we're all supposed to be in the game for each other. And so when we are with other people, we are constantly thinking, how can I help this person overcome what they're dealing with right now? How can I help this person be less anxious? How can I help her become less angry? How can I help him to forgive? And every one of us doing that, all we can do to help all of us move the ball down the field together. It's a commitment to intentionality. Number three, it's a commitment to accountability. Accountability. There's a great word in this text. The word is spurring. And the NIV says, we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do you know what that means literally? Literally, it means that we are to irritate one another. And it's a command. The writer of Hebrews is saying, literally, I want you to irritate one another. Now, some of you are saying right now, I know some people in this room who are really good at that already, and they don't need this sermon. Maybe you're nudging your spouse. Don't listen right now, because if you hear this, we're all in trouble. That's not the irritation that we're kind of talking about. What it means, the flavor of the word, word is to sharply disagree. And what it means is that you need some people around you who will be willing to confront you about what they see. They'll be willing to irritate you a little bit because they know and you know that there is a much larger goal that we're all trying to get to. And unless they stick a finger in your chest and poke you a little bit, you will never get there. You need that in your life. My CrossFit friends know this really well. If you don't have a partner who is asking why you haven't been to the gym in the last few days, or if you don't have somebody in your class popping off about how you're cheating your way through the wall balls, then you will never get any stronger. If you constantly try to shortcut the process, you will never transform your body in the way you envision. And if that's true at the gym, then it's true here at the church as well. 
And so we say to those we trust, would you please poke me in the chest and help me accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish, and that is to live into this idea that Jesus is enough, that he has already afforded me a place where I am fully loved and fully accepted by God, and that means that I live in a certain way. Would you help me to live that way, to reflect that great love that I've been given? Finally, this is a commitment to encouragement. The writer says, encourage one another. And that's good news. That's the exact opposite of the spurring on, the irritating. And we need both, right? Sometimes we need somebody to poke us in the, in the chest, but sometimes we need people to spring up in front of us with all smiles and their rainbows and butterflies and ponies. And, they need, and, and we need them to tell, something, tell us something good about us, right? We need both. And encouragement is to walk in somebody else's shoes. It's to show them by word and deed that you are for them, that you want their best, that you want to support them in what they're trying to do. And the goal of all of them The goal of all of the considering, all the pondering, all the meeting together, all the spurring towards, all the encouraging, the goal of all of this, hear this, is to produce in someone else love and good deeds. That's different than the way we navigate. See, we usually say, how can I get better at love and good deeds? How can I be a better Christian? How can I get better at life? How can I get better at loving the people around me? That's what we ask. What if the correct question to ask was, how can I try to do first for others what I'm trying to do for myself? What if that's the greater way? And what if that's the way to grow myself, to help other people do that first? Love is the great expression of faith and hope. That's what Paul says when he writes that famous verse. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And in part, oh, there's sermons there, but in part, the greatest is love because no one's ever been a Christian for his own sake. Christianity is not a solo endeavor because Christianity is about loving and you need other people to be able to love. Barclay said it this way, no man ever saved his soul who devoted his whole time and energy to saving it. But many a man has saved it by being so concerned for others that he forgot that he himself had a soul to save. Jesus is the one that thought of you when he gave his blood so that you could have access, so that you could be a prized child of God himself, so that you could be the hope of heaven. And so our thought must be the same. How can I think of somebody else, of other people, and help them grow? And the great benefit of that is that I will grow myself. Tony Campolo is a Christian speaker and sociologist, and he got a gig uh, to go and speak in one of those places um, where nobody wants to go, one of the undesirable parts of the world, Honolulu, Hawaii. And uh, he accepted that, right? And he had to fly there, of course, and there's a six-hour difference, and as a result, he's wide awake at 3 a.m., and so he finds a diner 
uh, he's walking around and um, he finds a diner to go to and he's sitting and he's eating and right next to him, he can't help but overhear a conversation between two women. And it doesn't take him long to figure out that they're prostitutes. And one of them uh, was named Agnes. And Agnes was talking about the fact that tomorrow was her birthday. And the other said, oh, are you going to have a party? And Agnes said, wow, nobody's ever asked me that. I have never had a birthday party in my life. And not too long ago, after that, they left. And Tony looked at the owner of the diner, a guy named Harry. He's kind of a sleazy-looking diner guy. He says, do you know those women that were just sitting here? And, And Harry said, yeah, I know all the people that come in at this time of night for sure. And he says, well, why don't we throw her a birthday party? When she comes in tomorrow night, let's have a party for her. And Harry says, well, okay, if you want. And so Tony says, I'll go out and buy the decorations. I'll buy the cake. I'll buy all that stuff. Uh, Do you know her friends? Well, yeah, I know a lot of her friends. And so why don't you invite all of her friends? I'll go get all the decorations and we'll have a birthday party. And so the next night, 2.30 in the morning, they began to decorate the diner and they decorate the cake and all of Agnes's friends start walking in the door. Tony suddenly realized once they were all there that all of Agnes's friends were prostitutes as well. So there he is, a Christian speaker in the middle of a group of prostitutes about to have a birthday party. And Agnes walks in at 3.30 in the morning. Everybody jumps out. Everybody screams, happy birthday. She is utterly stunned. She, she can't even stand up. She slumps into the booth. She starts crying. She looks at the cake. She can't blow the candles out. So Harry comes out from the desk, and he blows the candles out for her. He hands her a knife to cut the cake, and she says, I can't cut this. I've never had a birthday in my life. Can I just keep the cake? My, my home is just a couple blocks away. Can I just take the cake and keep it? I, I just want to look at it for a while. They say, sure, yeah, okay. So Agnes takes the cake, she gets up, goes out of the diner, and there Tony is in a group of prostitutes, and there's a long pause. It's really awkward. Nobody knows what to do, and so Tony says, why don't we pray? That made it less awkward. But he prayed. And he prayed for Agnes. He said, God, Would you bless Agnes? Would you pray that her life would be changed? Would you pray that she would know Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord? And when he finished his prayer, Harry leaned over to Tony and said, You never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? Tony answered this way, I belong and I go to a kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. That's the kind of church I go to. And Harry looked back at him with kind of a disgusted face. He said, no, you don't. That kind of a church doesn't exist. Because if it did, I would be a part of it. What kind of a community produces the kind of love and good deeds that we're talking about that make the Harrys of the world want to be a part of it? When we are doing it right, The Christian community is that right group. When we are doing it right, community Christian church is that right group. The secret to knowing God better is here in one word in this text. The word is confidence. We have confidence. It means to speak speak freely. And that's what we have. And it totally changes the game. It changes every relationship you have. 
Because when you have confidence that you are already accepted and already in the inner circle of God's throne room, then you don't need any of the things that we try to get from other people in our relationships because we already have it in Jesus Christ and the way he loves us. And that changes every relationship we have. And so by the blood of Jesus, we have this kind of status that changes the game where relationships are no longer about me. Relationships really can be about other people. And so parties for prostitutes can be scheduled without hesitation. We can draw near in faith because we understand what Jesus has done for us. We hold on to the hope, the belief that Jesus' blood is enough. And we consider what we can do to spur other people on towards love. And that transforms our relationships. It transforms our community so that we are a kind of a group that the Harrys of the world will want to be a part of. We can know God better when we know him together. The hidden benefit of that is that when we do it well, others who don't yet know him can also know him. Father, I thank you that you have given us each other. And I thank you that we are better together. I thank you that we can know you better together. We can have other people see in us the things that we can't see for ourselves, and that makes us better. We can look face to face in somebody else's eyes who also believes that Jesus' blood is enough, and that makes a difference today, and that makes us better. We can have people pop up in front of us who say, I love you, and I support you in what you're doing, and you will make it, and that makes us better together. So, Father, help us to draw near in faith, to hold on to the hope that we profess and to consider towards love. May that be our homework this week. That we find that thing that will help somebody else know Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand. And as we sing this last song, what is that thing? You know? As we were talking, working our way through that sermon, maybe there was that one thing that you, you said to yourself, you know what, I need to be better at that so that I can help other people in my life. What was that thing? I know God put something there. Would you latch on to that as we sing? And would you make that your goal this week? I am going to be better at that. Not because God will love me anymore, but because I want somebody else to love him more. You think about that.